Good morning, Restoration. It is, well, I would say good to see you, but I can't. Um, it's, again, my living room to yours. And one day we will gather again. Um, this week we learned from the governor's phone call that uh, churches will be still closed through the month of May. And so we're just making plans uh, to continue like this. Um, other things might open up and uh, we're just gonna have to take it kind of one week at a time. So hang in there. Um, I wanted to share a few things with you. Um, if you are feeling a little disconnected at this point, obviously everybody is in some way or another, but we would like to help you get more connected. So if you wanna be a part of an online Zoom uh, small group in the weeks to come, we would love to connect you with some groups happening all week long. Also, um, we want to uh, encourage you to keep giving. Um, keep giving to the general fund, keep giving to the Acts 4 uh, fund that just helps people who are trying to make some rent payments and, and different things like that. If you need help, reach out to us on our website restorationcolorado.org. And um, we're going to be having some more student ministry conversations here in the next few weeks. So in the midst of all this um, quarantine stuff and just the waiting to gather again, we are moving ahead with student ministry. And so it's really exciting stuff. So let me pray. We're going to get jumping right in here to Mark chapter two. God, we're grateful. We're grateful that we can still study your word. We can still uh, hear from your spirit that we can still follow you and apprentice you in this time. So would you give us insight, um, conviction and challenge and, and new ways this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So last week we talked about the concept of Sabbath and really we did so because this story, these two different stories that Mandy read are all about the Sabbath. They're all about the Sabbath, but much more than the Sabbath. But for you and me as Western American Christians, 2000 years after Jesus, we had some learning to do about what the Sabbath was and what the Sabbath really is meant to be. And for us, it's, it's so much more than a day off. It's so much more than kicking our feet up and and just relaxing and chilling out. Um, the Sabbath was an entire day set aside to follow God, to follow God's example in stopping, in resting, in delighting in his world, delighting in our lives in his world, and above all, to delight in God. And after six days of creation, God rested. And he Sabbath, he ceased. And obviously a lot has changed um, with how people have celebrated and, and remembered the Sabbath. I mean, 50 years ago, if you were to pick up some history um, on America and how the world operated, Sundays were, everything was shut down. And it was a day of rest. It was a day of, of just not doing work. Um, but it's actually so much more than that. Sabbath is so much more that, than that. And so last week we talked about this biblical theology of a Sabbath. And I'm just going to race through the points really quick just to remind us that the Sabbath was built on the rhythm of creation. 
that it's actually like you and I are wired with a rhythm in us, just like creation itself. It was blessed by God, meaning just like the animals and humans were were blessed by God and told to be fruitful and multiply, the Sabbath day itself was blessed by God and actually has this uh, latent potential to be fruitful and multiply and heal. Um, It was also called holy. It was the first time in the Bible that the word holy was used, and it wasn't used to talk about a place, but actually time itself, that there was actually a delineation of time that was called holy and set apart. Um, It wasn't a day off, but it was meant for worship. There's a great quote from a guy named A.J. Swoboda, who wrote Subversive Sabbath, and I would encourage you, if you want to learn more about this, is a great book. He says, a day off cannot sustain the human soul. Only Sabbath can. Um, and so that's, it's meant for much more than just kicking our feet up. Uh, it was both a command and a gift. So we talked about Exodus 20, but it was actually also a gift. Um, and it was a day to remember. And that Sabbath, this idea that Sabbath is, is not a command you're stuck with and you should feel guilty about um, if you miss it. But that being said, if we don't Sabbath, if we don't stop, if we don't rest, if we don't delight in worship, it's going to catch up to us. It's going to, we're slowly going to become, we're not machines, we're slowly going to, in a sense, wind down and, and get tripped up. Um, And so it's a gift. It's a gift of rest and healing, and it's a gift of growing trust in God. And so over time, this idea of Sabbath actually became um, compounded with rules over time. And here's the thing. Um, It became a whole list of cans and cans um, of um, it's a bent of human beings really to turn anything into a list of rules. And so what happened in Torah is, is this idea that Sabbath as a command actually got things added to it. And so over time in an oral tradition, uh, there's something called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was this way that, you know, as people had questions about how the Sabbath worked and what they could and couldn't do on the Sabbath, religious leaders kept adding more and more layers and rules to this idea of Sabbath. So in the Torah, it's remember the Sabbath, make it holy, rest, don't work. And then down the road, it got separated into 39 categories, including you're not allowed to tie or untie a knot on the Sabbath. And you weren't allowed to write more than one letter on the Sabbath. And, and all of that came from one command. All of that kind of added stuff came from one command. And it was rule after rule stacked on top of each other. And then Jesus shows up in this story. And it starts in verse 23. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and has, as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So not only were they picking heads of grain, which is 
um, like fits into the farming category in Deuteronomy. Uh, but in the Mishnah, you're not allowed to pick one head of grain at all. And, and, and although Jesus was breaking the Mishnah with his disciples, he was not breaking Torah. And so Jesus is right here is not a fan of religion. And he answers them. He says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? Well, I love this because he's being so sarcastic and, and kind, of, kind of jamming it back at him. It, it's like he knows they've read this. In fact, some, many of the Pharisees, in fact, all of the Pharisees probably had it memorized. And so by him saying, have you never read? It's just like, bro, do you even read? And it says, in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God. This is Jesus talking and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave him, gave some to his companions. And so this is the showbread in the Old Testament. And Jesus is telling the story from like this obscure story about David in 2 Samuel uh, 1. And he's on the run from Saul, like David is being pursued by Saul. And uh, he's already been anointed king. He's He's, he's going to be the king of Israel. Saul is chasing him. And, and Jesus could have quoted, and it's kind of this fascinating story, but Jesus could have quoted Exodus 20. And he doesn't. Instead, he uses this obscure story, and he's, and he's actually doing it for a really important reason. Why is he using this? Well, because the people of Israel during Jesus' day were actually looking forward to they were looking forward to the next David, like the next person in the line of David. And so David, uh, Jesus, what he's doing is he's actually showing how he's like David. And, and just like David had his companions, Jesus has his companions. And just like David, he's, he's anointed king. And, and just like David, he's in a sense being pursued by people who want to do him harm which is the Pharisees he's talking to. And he says, not only do I have authority over the Sabbath, but I have authority over the whole world. And then it says in verse 27, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. He's like, don't you get it? He's like, you have it all wrong. The Sabbath is a gift from God. You're not a slave to it. The, the Sabbath was made for men and women as a gift to find joy and rest and trust in, in, in God. It's not a stuffy rule. That same author, A.J. Suwoboda, he says this, the Sabbath is God's solution to FOMO anxieties, you know, fear of missing out anxieties. He says, on the Sabbath we are in because we are with Jesus Christ. God is with us and the world does not define us. It's this space of absolute rest. Like you don't even, you get to rewire your head around your identity in Jesus and not in all the pressures and, and the ways we have to like try to fit in. So on the surface, this passage is about the Sabbath and it's good. But there's something way deeper. It's about Jesus, who Jesus is, his identity. That he's way more than a rabbi. He's actually the hope of Israel. 
Now here's what's really fun. I'm going to quote from you a famous scholar named Dan Zesvorka. From his 1988 paper in seminary, he wrote this. This is not a passage that dismisses the Sabbath, but one that frees the Sabbath to be what it was originally intended to be, a sign pointing to the grace of God and to his ultimate sanctification of his people. And so here's where it really amps up this story. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Another time Jesus went to the synagogue, and this is in Capernaum, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, this is, this is amazing. This is totally religious stuff. A, a very religious heart. Um, looking for a reason to accuse. And this is the heart of Phariseeism. They were watching Jesus closely. They were just waiting for him to screw up and, and to, to slip up. And what's crazy is, like, if I was to ask you, is healing a, a good thing? We would all agree with that. And, and, and this is what Jesus does. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. So imagine a room full of people, synagogue full of people, and there's a man with a shriveled hand, and he's probably got it tucked under his cloak. And Jesus asked this guy to stand up in front of everybody, which is probably many of your worst nightmares. And Jesus is about to pick a fight with the Pharisees here. And so imagine your, your biggest insecurity, this man with this shriveled hand that actually keeps him from being ritually clean, meaning... There was a reason behind why his hand was shriveled according to many religious people. That there was a sin in his life or a sin in his parents' life. And, and he had the shriveled hand and he probably kept it tucked under. So imagine your biggest insecurity. And, and then Jesus says this. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they remain silent because, of course, that's, that's one of those questions that is, of course, we know the answer. And then he looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Okay, Jesus is angry here, and he's angry at their stubborn hearts. And what we understand is our English word for heart would be this idea of the seat of our feeling. But the the better translation for this is they were closed-minded, that their minds were closed to anything that God was doing. And so this guy is standing there in front of everyone, um, and, and the thing that he's most embarrassed about over anything else because it kept him from uh, performing ritual duties and being a part of the, uh, of, of the, the rituals, um, Jesus says to that man, stretch out your hand. Um, stretch out and show everyone your biggest insecurity. He stretches it out, and his hand was completely restored. And you would think that this would be the time to party, that this would be the time to celebrate. But it says in verse 6, it says, Then the Pharisees went out and, to, and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So instead of partying and celebrating this healing, um, they instead begin to plot to kill Jesus. And this is crazy. 
And here's what's so fascinating about this, that the Herodians and the Pharisees, they, did, they were enemies. They did not like each other, okay? Pharisees were anti-Rome. They were uh, against Greek culture. They were against Hellenism. The Herodians were Jews too, but they were pro-Herod, they were pro-Rome, and they spent most of their time with Gentiles, and that made them unclean. And so these two groups really despised each other a lot. And there was a significant line between them. They, they both hate Jesus, though. They both hate this rabbi, this traveling rabbi, who seems to have authority and when he preaches and he heals people and he does all this stuff that is upsetting the system. Because if Jesus is right, everything is about to change. And their established ways and their, and their systems are about to crumble. And so they team up and they start to plot his death. And so yes, this passage is about the Sabbath. But it's about so much more. It's about the way of Jesus versus the way of the Pharisees. It's about the kingdom of God versus a religion of rules. It's about life like real life or just like this weak rule uh, version of it. And so different are Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees, to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was a rule. It was rigid and it was unbending. And for Jesus, the Sabbath was a gift. It was a day of grace, of redemption, and of healing. And so here's the thing. Most of us, if you've grown up reading scripture, maybe you went to school as a uh, church as a child, and I, I just remember, you know, as a kid thinking that the Pharisees were evil. You know, as a kid, like, are they good guys or bad guys? And as a kid, you're like, bad guys. You know, they're just the evil Pharisees. And, but here's the thing. They were well-respected. They were the Bible-believing men and women of their day. And so we have to be really careful, right? Because Phariseeism is alive and well today. Where? Well... Let's find out. I'm going to share 10 signs with you that you might have a bit of a Pharisee in you and in me. Uh, sign number one, you like rules a lot. Sign number two, you think it is your job to defend right and call out wrong. Number three, you are quick to criticize and slow to compliment. Number four, you see the bad and the not good enough in situations and in people before you see the beautiful and the possible. Number five, you just wish people were more like you. Because if they were more like you, this world would be a better place. Number six, you don't eat and drink with people far from God. You know, while Jesus is eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors, you're at church or at a Bible study or hold off away in your home. Well, I guess we all are right now. Number seven, every new reading of Scripture is guilty until proven innocent. 
Number eight, the rule is more important to you than the reality. Number nine, it's about issues and not real people. I mean, maybe you've said stuff about an issue, a political issue, or you have an opinion about a group of people, but you really don't know them. Number 10, you hold yourself to a higher standard than Jesus. So those are the the 10 signs you might have a bit of a Pharisee in you, and you might be saying, okay, Ryan, where did you get this list? Is it on the internet somewhere? Can I go look it up? No. It's pretty much from my life. Like, I'm I'm a recovering Pharisee, and there's crud in my heart. It's literally been three days since I've made fun of another church. I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, if, if you hang out with me enough, to, you, you're going to hear some of these things. Phariseeism, wherever it is, is sees life and healing and transformation and reconciliation, and it snuffs it out. It pushes it out. And it writes it off. Jesus said to his, his disciples a little later on in their story, he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And what he's saying is that there's just this real subtle thing that when you add it into your life, if you don't, if you're not careful, it will spread throughout everything. And that's a real issue. And that's a real issue in my life. And maybe it is in yours. It kills life wherever it sees it. And so two things today as we wrap up. One, maybe today you uh, need to heal. You need to slow down. You need to allow the depth of your soul to heal. And the only way to do that is by ceasing, is by resting is by trusting. And you need to carve out some time and you need to maybe dip your toes into what a Sabbath looks like because you really need to heal deeply. But maybe today, you need to run back through your week or maybe run back through your, your year or your life and you need to really analyze, is there a, is there a growing Pharisee in me? Am I seeing the world tainted like the Pharisees? Am I missing the eyes of Jesus when it comes to people, when it comes to what God is trying to do in this world? Even in the midst of this pandemic, am I missing what God is seeing? Am I missing what Jesus is seeing because I'm seeing it through very rules, uh, black and white, uh, a list of things. Am I, am I looking at the beautiful or am I looking at the not good enough? Am I criticizing or am I complimenting? Am, am I defending right and showing wrong? What, am, what is in my life? Where is it growing in me, this Phariseeism? And I would encourage you to root it out. Repent of it. Reconcile with people. Because that's the way forward for us that follow Jesus. So, Here's what I want you to do. We are wrapping this up. Um, It's great to not see you, but I will see you shortly on the Zoom call. 
okay? So click on the link for the Zoom call. We'd love to talk about this further. We might split up into groups, but we would love to talk about this further. It's great to see you, everybody.